0: Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today's guest is... Me
1: here I go here I come. Jacqueline London, registered dietitian, author of Dressing on the Side and Other Diet Myths Debunked, um, nutrition and wellness consultant, and food and beverage brand strategist.
0: That's quite a mouthful of titles.
1: <laughs> it really is. It really is a mouthful. I've got to say, much like, <laughs> much like a mouthful though for a dietitian, it feels like right. It feels like it's right. It feels like the right metaphor.
0: <laughs> so where where are you from originally?
1: I am a New Yorker, born and raised. So I grew up in Lower Manhattan, and um, my family is still scattered around the area. But I am now talking to you from a new apartment here in the city, which was, um, which has been really taking everything out of me. I've got to say. I mean, it's really. It's not a move. Is not an easy. It's not an easy feat.
0: No, no. Whether you're moving (laughs) into a new place it's much bigger. It's even worse when you're trying to downsize. It's It just gets, right. gets crazy.
1: Everything about it. Everything about it's not pretty.
0: So when you were a kid, was there, was it always the aspiration to get into diet and nutrition or was it, did you have other aspirations and then it just shifted gears?
1: Oh, it's a great question. So when I was a kid, I, did not know a thing about nutrition, but I was a, I'm a lifelong dancer. I should probably say I am a lifelong dancer because I don't think that that really necessarily ever goes away, but I grew up dancing. I studied dance in college. Um, That was one of my majors. So I, I was always interested in the connection between what we eat and how we physically feel both in the moment and how we feel long-term. I didn't really know at the time, especially when I was a kid, that that actually had a profession. (laughs) That profession would be dietetics. I also really had no sense that, that, anything to do with clinical nutrition, which is really where I started. I I worked clinically in uh, stroke and brain injury rehab at the Mount Sinai Hospital here in New York and and loved it so much and, and felt that the work was really, truly rewarding. But I really, I didn't know that I would love being a clinician so much at the time. I was much more into books, very much into reading and writing. So I definitely thought I would be doing something more like that.
0: Got it. What exactly is the difference between, say, a standard nutritionist, dietitian, and a clinical mm-hmm. dietitian?
1: So oh, the only the the difference is really just the setting. So in clinical, you are seeing patients as you you're sort of rounding on patients as you might if you were a physician or any other health practitioner in who works in a clinical setting. Um, but the the truth is that it is. Whereas, you know, in an, in an outpatient setting, you are seeing people who are looking to you either for the management of a condition or a or the prevention of a condition or are simply just looking to learn a little bit more about nutrition because there's plenty of people who are similar to me who grew up, you know, without that kind of knowledge and understanding Um but you're really focused on the prevention or the management whereas in clinical nutrition you are really working in medical nutrition therapy so we're trained in that throughout the dietetic residency and then actually applying those skills in practice once you are working in patient at at a hospital so there's lots of different clinical settings. There's the there's the hospital setting, or a long-term care facility, or an acute rehab setting, which is actually where I spend a lot of time um, as part of the hospital. But there's lots of different ways to practice dietetics, and and actually I was just having a conversation on on my podcast on the side, uh, which was. Uh, this morning about how many different things there are to actually do with the training and education. But we, it's almost like an unlimited kind of untapped knowledge base that continues to keep growing. It's like a wealth of, it's like a knowledge spring more, (laughs) more than it is a knowledge base. So going
0: back and and reinventing it, so to speak.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: What, um, ton of different avenues to, to kind of go down here. Uh, where, why don't we jump into schools for a second yeah from your your perspective and, and your experiences what can we do to improve school health curriculum for future generations
1: oh such a good question and so so challenging well kind first of a loaded of all, question <laughs> yes <laughs> first of all I would I would say that the most important the most important thing that we have to remember when it comes to school food whatsoever is that so many, so many people, so many kids who are eating three meals a day, every single day, every single weekday at school are relying on school food in order to actually get their nutrients, have the calories that they need in order to grow and and learn. So the, so the critical nature of school food is really, is, is really important, right? It's gotta be something that kids want to enjoy and want to consume with their with their friends with their classmates in a safe setting where they feel empowered to make their own food choices but where those foods are provided so the foods that are palatable the foods that are bottom line most nutritious are foods that you're going to actually eat right because it's it's only nutrition if you actually eat it so You know, I mean, there's been a lot recently and certainly a lot of headlines recently about in, in the New York City local area about, um, you know, vegan vegan Fridays, things like this. Well, you know, this doesn't, this I think can, can often be something that is a great idea in theory, but in, in practice, in reality, the nature of how this plays out is kids having what what is the equivalent of a side dish because they don't necessarily like the food and then actually missing out on a an entire meal for the day. And the food insecurity is such a big issue and there's so many different challenges towards solving it. We don't need to add in any kind of new challenge to this mix when there already are so many.
0: Right. What about in, in the classroom? How How do you think we can better educate kids in the importance of I mean, when I was in school, we had, you know, the, the food pyramid, the, the basic mm-hmm. food groups, you know, eat healthy, eat right, exercise. Clearly, things have changed since I was in school. Uh, I think kids are, you know, I've heard things about you know, hormones are different. Um, just the way the food is prepared is different. There's a lot more processed food. There's not as much activity, I think, with, mm-hmm. with kids in this age, nowadays. <clears throat> What can we do to, to really stress to them the importance of, of being active and and just eating healthier?
1: Well, you know, first of all, I think that there is this misconception, and we still have you know the USDA and Department of Health still publish every five years the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, and now we we use what we call My Plate instead of my of the food pyramid, which is sort of the the original. Um, but what and and all school food is based off of this general principle, this general philosophy, which is half your, half your plate is meant to be veggies and different types of grains. And then you've got your lean protein. So these are really balanced and very solidly substantiated nutrition um, guidelines. The problem is that they're just guidelines. They're not, man, they're, you know, they're not here to fix all problems and they're not necessarily here to be interpreted 100% the same way by all 50 States. Right? So we've got, we've got a lot of different things that factor into what school food might look like but one thing that i think is is truly unique both about our country and also about about the opportunity to teach nutrition in school is to do it through learning about our own communities so in in every state we have different we have different agriculture we have different land we grow different products there's different things that come from different places and that should be celebrated instead of um instead of downplayed right and i think that also plays into my general philosophy about about how, helping our future generation learn more about food is that learning about food is learning about ourselves, our culture, our climate, our environment, our personal, uh, physical and psychological environment as well. There's so much that goes into food and eating that has nothing to do with the nutrients that food's contain or provide. So having that understanding of what does food mean in our current culture? What does it mean in our state, in our local area, in our region? What does it mean for the people that we care about, right? Like what does it mean for their, um, for their jobs, for (laughs) their, their success? And also I think there's, there's that kind of learning component and that kind of bringing it home component, but really for kids, the, the most powerful way to, to bring kids into or introduce kids into the idea of healthy eating is to also make it clear that quote healthy is also delicious right like and doing that means finding out where different foods come from going to the grocery store with kids bringing them into the process bringing them into the cooking and prep process and the cleanup process of course and Mm -hmm. that way you know really feeling like they're involved and empowered easily the best way to start making choices for the whole family that everyone can adopt and support
0: got it I'm I try to do that with my kids I have a 13 year old and a 16 year old and I try to get them in to help me cook I try to get them into giving me some ideas of things that they want to try Um, usually doesn't go very well but I'm trying (laughs)
1: Right. I mean, you know, there is this other component too that it is the part of the experience of feeling really great when you have a really great meal, and and that can mean so many different things. But I'll I'll keep it simple at that because I think it is actually important to leave it to to you know personal interpretation of like, do you feel psychologically great? Do you feel physically great? How do you want to feel two hours from now? And I'm still, you know, I work with adults mostly. But when I'm working with adults, I, we're still kind of like refocusing all the time, right? Like how do how do we actually want to physically feel two hours from now? I often use this kind of. Your, your schedule informs your strategy slogan, which I just think is, is key because a lot of us think about health as something that's very elusive and far off, like something that's far away in the future or something that we've really got to make a decision right now in this moment, are we going to be, are we healthy or not healthy? But it's not so binary, right? Like there's just so many different shades and there's so many different complexities that factor in. So thinking about it in terms of how you want to physically feel, how much energy do you want to have what are you doing two hours from now really matters.
0: Agreed. Given the fact that there, it is such a complex thing, especially finding nutrition because everybody's different. Everybody's metabolism is different. Everybody's body chemistry is different. How, what are your thoughts on, on some of these? And there's tons of them out there, but I'll I'll call them fad diets for lack of a better Mm -hmm. term that, you know, they, they kind of pitch them out as these super diets that will work for everyone You you take a pill at night, and you're gonna shed all the weight. And to me, I I find them pretty disingenuous. What What are your thoughts on, I guess the, the economy of that, where it's just new things every every day. It seems like.
1: Am I allowed to curse on this podcast?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I, these are all bullshit. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's really no, there's no science to support any of these, um, whether it is. And when I say no science, I really want to be clear on that because there are areas of scientific study. I'll use the example of something like the keto diet, which is really trendy right now. And, um and, and yet there is research on keto, but it is for the treatment of pediatric seizures. So we do have actual data, but in those areas, instances, this is where people are in a dire situation where their children are refractory to medication, right? Like their medication is just simply not working and we've got to try something else. And it's okay if they experience bone loss a little bit later on, because right now the more important thing, it's almost like triage, right? Right. So when you think about it in that context of like, there is, there are certain pockets, there are areas of data, there's areas of study where we can say, yeah, that might work if... But in general, the most critical kind of filter for anyone who is considering any of these kind of trendy things that have all of the promises and deliver all of zero, just garbage, <laughs> um, is that ultimately what you're doing is just wearing down your yo-yo string of how much how much can a person go through <laughs> to to constantly think about food, to constantly think about not eating food, and then ultimately to lose weight and gain it back. Because if you can't do it for the rest of your life, it's not really for you, right? Because it ultimately, and granted, we all change throughout our lives. There's our taste preferences change, the things we like to do change. That's true. But if it doesn't seem like you for the rest of your life to not even look at a cracker, it's probably not for you.
0: (laughs) That's kind of the recurring theme that I hear, especially with a lot of the program diets is they don't, they don't necessarily change you the way that they need to yeah you'll get the physical change temporarily
1: mm-hmm. for
0: however many months but as soon as you kind of stop that you kind of bounce back and, and that's that that was kind of my personal experience a few years ago my wife and yeah. i did a, a protein-based diet it worked well i i think i dropped 40 45 or so pounds in mm. five months or so and i felt good i i liked the way i looked a lot better
1: yeah.
0: but as soon as we you know, within a few months after stopping that program and just going back to re- eating regularly, I think more of that life got in the way and
1: right. schedules
0: kind of just everything went to shit and right, started eating the right, crap right. again. And and now I'm back up to almost where I started. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to find ways to get rid of sugars and, and, and do the simple things that I, from my understanding mm-hmm. uh, help people lose weight, which is, you know, reducing, uh, Sugar, reducing fats, you know the bad fats, and and reducing a lot of stuff that I typically eat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, it's the the thing about any sort of weight related goal is that it ultimately becomes ancillary, and and that's how it works, right? Like, is it the quote unquote works? For weight loss to really work it can't truly be about just the weight right like it's got to be about eating delicious food that you have either made yourself or you find at a restaurant that you love or the the whole experience it's it's really more if i had to boil it down into its most reductive form i would say more produce more often move your tushy more often and you're already on track to to better health well-being and weight management long term and the only other caveat that i would add to that is that those two things though they have to be things you really enjoy and sometimes that can take such a long time for to to do the trial and error to find ways that actually make that feel manageable and change is really really hard like change is not easy no matter what so i think we gotta start getting comfortable with the idea that anytime you're making a small very small, because also small is more effective long-term, but small change over time, it's the consistency that lasts, you know? Right. So so the the ways of slicing it can change how you get it, how you decide to do X thing one day can look totally different from another day. But as long as it fits within your lifestyle and you feel like you're doing something consistently that feels good and right to you for your physical, emotional, psychological health, then you're already in great shape.
0: So, knowing that everybody's different, what are some some basic things that are kind of across the board will work regardless of body type, um, personal mm-hmm. metabolism, and and personal what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like biochemistry,
1: chemical, yeah, really. like the personal yeah. biochemistry. What, what are yes. some
0: kind of like broad spectrum? This will work for everybody, aside from you know increasing your exercise, eating. More vegetables, more fiber, things like that.
1: Okay, so I would say a couple things. First of all, the the boiling it down to, and I think this kind of applies to anything that um, that sort of presents itself as fast, easy, jump start, detox, seven day, whatever. Right? Those right there, you got to take with a grain of salt because you know I and and in dressing on the side in, in my book, I wrote about how sometimes you need a little bit of shtick, like you need a little something to like get you going. Right. Right. Like, and that's totally true. And I don't want to knock anyone's, you know, soul cycling or boot berries boot camping. Right. like, Because sometimes those things can be effective because the motivation becomes about the joy of the class. And that's totally true. So that's why I boil it down so simply is because ultimately whatever's going to get you to move more. Those are the things that that are going to contribute to your overall long term health and your well-being, both in the moment and and in the future but what i think some other things that are often overlooked and i i know that there's this is another trendy thing right now is is the the fasting is so antithetical to something that is something i talk about all the time which is eating consistently so every three to four hours gotta have something so many of us are living our lives now in front of a computer we're stuck on calls back to back all day every day and we're not staying hydrated and we're not eating enough. So what we're doing is just kind of living as a blob, essentially. <laughs> and we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to fuel for the the amount of energy that we need and the amount of energy that we spend and want to spend, right? Because your vital organs need energy too. So we give, we're giving everything we got to them, and then we're just sort of staying in place. So any way that we can practice making consistent food choices, eating something every three to four hours, and I would say... Combos of, from a nutrition standpoint, combos of protein and fiber are the most satiety promoting. There's plenty of research that backs up the idea that eating combos of protein and carbs it, you know, together. So like an apple and peanut butter, a banana and cheese. I don't know, that sounds kind of gross. I'm gonna use a different example. Maybe like a PB&J is a great example, right? These are These are food combos that can help us to both fill up, but also stay satisfied because in practice I have seen this over and over again which is so many of us are eating till we feel full but it's not real satiety and so often it's not real satiety because we've decided that this week we're cutting out this food group or this nutrient or whatever so we're not eating satisfying combinations of meals so eating consistently eating combos of protein and fiber so you know more veggies and more fruit more often really plays into that because that those are your that's your real main source of fiber um moving more often in ways that are enjoyable and fun for you both physically and emotionally and it doesn't always have to be hard at first it just has to be consistent, right? Um, and then I think the the idea of just rethinking our own personal schedule as as a little way to inform a health-focused strategy. How do we actually want to spend our time? How do we want to make meals and snacks that are delicious for our families, both at home and in our community, wherever we are? And how do we want to learn about other cultures and experiences and flavors from around the world? And sometimes, you know, I think in, in some ways, some of what we learned with the pandemic was that we can learn from one another with the internet, right? So we can make recipes from across the world and that can be a way to experience something that we wouldn't otherwise. So there's lots of different ways to experiment and there's lots of different, um, food related, um, you know, tips, hacks, grocery shopping, how to grocery shop. There's plenty of good stuff there, but when it comes down to like, what are the fundamentals, finding ways to incorporate real whole foods and eating them consistently over the course of your day and then building a schedule that informs the strategy of your overall healthier lifestyle is just key to making that more consistent and staying with it.
0: As we age... Our, clearly our, our metabolism changes, our dietary needs, our nutritional needs change. I kind of look at my youngest who would literally eat everything and he's and he was just at the doctors. He's just under 5'8 and he's like 112 pounds. Highly, highly active, but he literally devours everything. And I look at him going, if only I could still do that because that's the way I was when I was a kid. Right. Clearly, as I I aged, I, I was in the 30s and now in my 40s, I'm not disproportionately large. I just seem to have all my weight centered around my midsection. Mm-hmm. For for people who are like me, who are relatively decent shape, who are trying to find that niche for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Would you? How how important is is gut biome uh, to for everybody and, and probiotics and things like that?
1: So it is. So it's definitely important, but not in the way that we've that we have currently experienced the marketing over it. Right. So it's we know it's important. We know that everyone's is different, and that this is where your unique DNA, your unique um, genomic. Uh, sequencing within your body's gut microbiome is is critical for many different things. But where it's really critical is that if you just kind of think about your GI tract as being the your body's own bodyguard, essentially, right? Like everything that you are consuming goes through your GI tract in order to get to the other organs and, and the other tissues of your body. So when it's filtered, if it's going to, if everything's going to go through there, and we're going to filter everything through there, then we want it to be things that make that environment that much more nourishing and um and and healthy, right? Like and thriving, essentially. So, so when it comes to prebiotics probiotics the most the, that's where i come back to my my sort of general point about the more vegetables and i know that sounds a little boring but the bottom line being that prebiotics are the fuel that your body's probiotics need to grow and proliferate and probiotics being the good or the friendly bacteria and there's plenty of research that that supports the idea that we know that these are important. We make um, we make a number of different hormones in our own intestinal tract that help us to digest and absorb and metabolize food. So it is really critical to have that healthy environment. But it's a lot simpler than than we have been told to believe, right? Like it's a lot simpler than the idea of um, take this probiotic or take this dietary supplement and you will have a healthier gut or drink this drink for better gut health, which is driving me. Nuts lately because I feel like it's just on every packaged product because it's like an FDA loophole; like they don't have to regulate this, and so it's on every beverage, it's on every prebiotic beverage, it's everywhere. So it's one of these claims that that saying like supports a healthy gut. Well, there, there's very few things that wouldn't under those circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a just a beverage, a sparkling beverage. I mean, sure it does, but it, it's sure the it apple also does vinegar thing too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing really gets me crazier than apple cider vinegar, i got to say. <laughs> I think it's, it's because there are about two, right. <laughs> There's also about two rodent studies on the topic. So everything that has gone blown, just blown up out of proportion is really like from two mice model studies one human study in which there was a control group there was the 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 group that took the apple cider vinegar it only took place over a couple of weeks and these people were already losing weight to begin with i mean there's just so many things wrong with it that the idea that this whole marketing engine has blown up over this poor dressing a former salad dressing turned elixir apple cider vinegar (laughs) Uh,
0: what are your thoughts on the overabundance of information and the wealth of information that's literally at our fingertips now, as opposed to 20 or so years ago where, and it, it kind of sounds like that's where you were going yeah. with the, um, intermittent fasting, the the keto diet. I wasn't aware that the keto diet is primarily just used for pediatric seizures, mm. but it's, it's kind of taken on a, a life of its own. And like, there's, there's millions of books out there for recipes right. and, and why it's such a great thing for everybody. But with the Atkins diet and, and keto diets and the all meat diet, I, I think I've heard. I know almost every variation of something that's great for everybody. Um, right. What are your your thoughts on refining the information and and how we process that?
1: Oh, it's a really good question. So we have access to everything now at our fingertips through our phones, and so finding. You will never, and, you know, I mean, I, I was speaking to somebody the other day who was, was really reiterated something very succinctly by saying that, um, you know, when we're looking for things online, simply just by the way that we search, we're getting confirmation bias and, and you know, we're, we're sort of inputting our own confirmation bias, our own affirmation rather than actually information. Um, and I think the fact that there are so many different ways to consume information now is almost sometimes worse for our overall physical health and, and emotional health and psychological health than the, than the food itself that just eat anything. You're mostly going to be fine as long as it's safe and not spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, so, cause no one single food or meal can make or break your state of health right now, tomorrow, and a, a few decades from now, it's really the patterns that we develop over time that make the most impact. So, the so the the access to information is both a wonderful thing and a terrible thing because it it can make us feel like we are so lost or so far away from the basics, which are you know, which is why I think that even sometimes when I'm when I'm talking to different people, when even now I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing my own words, I'm thinking it yes, it really is that simple. But like simple is different from easy. Because I think that's the biggest nuance, right, is that the principles are simple, but they can be really challenging to actually apply, especially when we're used to doing things a certain way. And therefore, the beauty of fads and fad diets or weight loss programs or plans is that they give you the prescription, but they—they they, a prescription will never last long term when it comes to food because we need food in order to live. It's not the same as, you know taking a prescription for 2 weeks or for, you know, a few years it it becomes something that when we are constantly looking to someone else to tell us what to eat we lose part of the component that made it so health promoting to begin with which is to to figure out, you know, how we can experiment, play around with the flavors of the things that we love because how it tastes is so important to, to how it ultimately lines up staying in our lives is that if it's only, if we're only going to want to keep eating it, if it's delicious.
0: Right. I, I also think that there's a big problem with the notion of everybody's an expert, or at least they think they're an expert just because oh hundred they, they might've read a few articles. Um, I, I, that again, it's another broad, broad spectrum issue of, people with really no nuanced understanding of things, presenting themselves and their information, their opinions as fact and.
1: Completely.
0: It's completely. I'm going to throw something out here and I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to go with it, but so my late mother had issues her entire life with her weight. Mm. And regardless of what restrictions, dietary restrictions, stuff a doctor gave her, she would never lose weight. And I watched her, I know, I've, you know my whole life, I watched her eat and when I was a kid. She was never somebody that, you know, gorged on things. She didn't really eat bad things. You know, she was by all intents and purposes, she was always ate healthy. She just yes. had a horrendous cluster of metabolic issues. Mm. Somebody that it's trying the, some different ways, you know, being very mindful about what to eat. Um, but still can't lose weight, what steps would you suggest for them to, to take, to try and you know, find out what nutrients they are lacking, you know, find out what is going on metabolically that could be adjusted mm. uh, to, to help them improve their, their life.
1: That's such a good question. And I wish that, I wish that all of us asked each other almost that question more, because I actually would, I would say that the, Best, The best piece of advice that I could give on this is to, first of all, for someone who is, who is currently struggling with that and feels this way, I would almost take it back to a physician or an endocrinologist, your, your primary care or an endocrinologist, and say, what are the questions that I should ask you? right? Because so often we just don't know what to ask. And and I think, you know, I hear that all the time. And I think the best example, just to to bring it into a really nutrition focused example, is that my dad passed away from heart failure. And the the thing that always just struck me all the time was that this is the smartest person I've ever known in my life. He he was brilliant. He was amazing. I can, you know, I can go on about him for hours, but I won't, (laughs) I won't right now. Um, But but when it came to applying the idea of choosing low sodium foods, it is the, the medical nutrition therapy for congestive heart failure is to cut back on sodium. The application, those words are just words, right? Like the actual idea of cutting back on sodium really requires understanding how people live. So in his case, he often, so many meals were consumed outside of home. So right there, you're already going to be at the higher end of, of where most of us need to be in order to just stay well and then you're talking about someone who also has a, a weak heart muscle so like the the need for that is that much greater then you've got to think about what it what does that mean on packaged food on when you go to the supermarket what actually is a low sodium food a low sodium food according to the FDA is 140 milligrams or less per serving that's very specific right so that's for that's for one packaged food but for whole foods that really is a meaningless term because you don't really need to think about sodium from there which is you know often where i land on this kind of idea is that the more real whole foods that we can actually consume and integrate into our everyday lifestyle, whether that's in the form of adding an extra piece of produce or, you know, adding more veggies to a stir fry that we're making for dinner, whatever it is, that's where the sort of more veg philosophy really comes into play. Because the more we can include these foods, the more volume we can have while also displacing the calories that come to us from different sources that are less nutritious for different reasons, right? Like, so in this case being, let's say it's a super high sodium food, um, you know, 80% of, of the sodium that we consume in the American diet is from restaurant and packaged meals. So, so much of that, you know, the, the mentality. And I remember at the time, the mentality was like, well, I'll just cut back on using the salt, but like the, so that's what I mean, how the, the language is so divorced from the actual application. So many of us may think we're doing it right or have the right idea in theory, but in reality, when it comes up in our everyday lives, we've got it completely wrong for us. Right. I don't mean like there's, you know, some kind of binary, but I think, so I think those two things is to, to, to really understand what to get very clear with a practitioner about what do they actually mean? And, and physicians aren't trained in nutrition. They get two hours of nutrition throughout medical school. So, (laughs) so they don't really know, but a good one will refer you to a dietitian or they will start to, to, speak and then realize that they actually need more information from you. And then that actually creates the dialogue. But I I can't stand it when you go to you go into an office of a medical professional and you get one off piece of advice, like cut back on the sodium. And that is so it's just so absent from how you live that you can't do anything with it. And you just kind of feel stuck. And a lot of times it comes up in the the course of like a, a shaming experience where you're just like, I don't have any idea what to do. And I feel like I'm just stuck. What do I do with this? Right. So that's, that's I think where the language needs to shift a little bit. And then also asking a physician, a medical professional, a dietitian, a physical therapist, what questions should I be asking you? I think that really helps to reframe for the practitioner, what they're not saying and not even intentionally, but just, just by nature of how they practice.
0: I I was for the last few years um, before she passed last year, I was, trying to get her to, you know, speak to a dietitian, have her doctor refer to a dietitian, you know, a a nutritionist, somebody or something that, that, like yourself, that's an expert in the field that could really ask the right questions and and maybe change some things for her, give her some ideas on things. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, she, like I said, passed last year, so it's still a little raw Uh. and God, on. it sucks so much.
1: <laughs> I'm totally with you. I totally get it. Yeah, it's the mm-hmm. worst.
0: The, uh, from what I'm gathering, you're, you're basically suggesting that eat less processed and packaged foods and more real food. It's mm. not messed with.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's hard because even, even when I think it through, there's, there's, first of all, there's always exceptions. And there's also the idea of what processed really means like everything to some extent goes through some sort of processing even Mm. if it's you know i'm often recommending frozen products that i think are great because they they again make it easier to get more veggies on the table for your family and if they're delicious and in delicious combos then why not because especially because frozen items are often the most nutritious since they don't go through all of the rough and tumble of like you know going (laughs) sitting on the shelf at the grocery store (laughs) right like so there's so many good things about frozen produce but it but it is a processing technique. So yeah. it, it can be hard to say not so processed, but but not exclusively processed. So more real food in its closest to nature form. And I again hesitate to say that because it sounds a little a little far from what I mean, which is that how was this orange intended to be an orange? Yes, it's a beautiful gift from nature to us. <laughs> <laughs> native trees gave us oranges sometimes some trees gave us give us oranges and we get to eat them and they're delicious Nature did not intend for us to juice those things and then reduce them into their shell of a former fiber filled fruit form, right? Like then we're just getting the naturally occurring sugar. Yes, it's naturally occurring, which is nice, but it's still just concentrated sugar because it's not going to help us fill up and feel satisfied, whereas the fiber in fruit form will. So, you know, using that example, like I think about um, if there's the number one source of, of added sugar in the U S is sugary beverages. So sugar sweetened beverages. So if we just think about that in the context of like, how are we taking our coffee? What is that sports drink that we happen to drink instead of water, right? Like, or what is that um, cocktail mixer that we're adding into a nighttime not nightcap, right? Like these things seem innocuous, but they can build up. So it's less right. about the processing and more about the, wait a sec. How simple is this? So simple is usually the lens that I would encourage more of us to look through.
0: The idea, like you, you just mentioned how you take your coffee and again, going back to trying to make the, the right changes in, in how I eat and, and getting into a better practice of things. You know, a few years ago, I would drink a 32 ounce iced coffee with, you know, a third of the cup of sugar, a third of the cup of milk, and then a little bit of coffee to it. Right. I've I've since transitioned and I don't add any extra sugar to it. I add just a little bit of milk and trying to do what I can to eliminate things that are unnecessary. You mentioned hydration before. Mm. For that, That's kind of, um, I'll call it a big problem for me, especially yeah. when it comes to just drinking water. Yeah. What suggestions do you have for somebody like myself who tries to, drink that gallon of water a day but just I can sit there and drink you know a half a gallon or so of coffee a day and not think twice but when it comes to drinking just simply pure water I can't seem to totally do it
1: I think first of all I think you can give up because I have great news which is But coffee is water. So you're hydrating just by drinking that coffee. And I feel good about it as long as you like the taste and it's going to help you get your eight cups of additional fluid that you need in addition to, you know, the fluid that you're going to get from food. I feel like let's just give up on the water. Why force it? (laughs) (laughs) That's one, that's on, that's one option. Another option would be sparkling water counts, any kind of seltzer, anything as long as it's unsweetened, even diet soda counts. Anything that is contributing to your overall fluid intake is contributing to your own personal hydration goals. The thing is that everyone's hydration needs are different. When I give the eight cups recommendation, it's because it's a a pretty good benchmark as far as benchmarks go. Eight cups is the equivalent of 2000 milliliters. And we started using that number because it was like to go along with these FDA food labels of 2000 calories per day. But honestly, I think it's a really good gauge. It's a good place to start because so many of us will probably need a little more. Many of us will need a lot less. And the majority of us are going to be somewhere in between. And there's very little risk to uh, Over hydrating by a cup or two, right? The the worst thing is that we'll just pee a little bit more. But like honestly, the urine test—it's kind of gross. But like that's really the ultimate test. It's like—is your pee a, a light little straw color? Then that's then you're staying hydrated, and then you're you're in good shape.
0: Got it. What about your? What are your thoughts on on sports drinks like Gatorade, and things like that, as far as a means of of hydration? Are you on uh, the the side that says Water is by far the best hydration method, or if you have, you know, playing hockey or, or wrestling or playing sports, being true, you know, very, very active. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on on rehydrating and rebuilding your electrolytes through catering and things like that?
1: They are a necessity if you're an endurance or professional athlete. Absolutely, absolute necessity savior during any type of elite training activity or um, event or anything like that, they are not a necessity for the majority of us. And I think we get that confused sometimes often because these things taste really good, but you can find, but the beauty of things like like Gatorade for athletes is that they are, are made to help you rehydrate in the way that's most efficient for someone who is doing something extremely strenuous that's designed to break down their muscle fibers and rebuild them. So they're made with carbs with with plenty of carbs with electrolytes. The the zero sugar options are a great option if you like the taste and you feel like you're sweating a lot because it's really hot outside or you live in a really humid climate. That could also be why you're sweating a lot, right? Like so they have a real use case, but then but for those who are not professional athletes or endurance training athletes Um, I would say look for the zero sugar option because at the very least, then you'll get some of those electrolytes that you need, but I would not exclusively rely on anything with added electrolytes. I feel like we're just kind of messing around with, again, nature gave us a gift in the form of water that has all of these electrolytes naturally occurring to some extent in trace amounts. But um, the more we add, it can add up over time. So I would would want us to be a little bit more judicious about when we choose to make those choices, but otherwise, you're good to go if you've got a zero sugar option.
0: Fair enough. So before I jump into my questions, where can people reach out to you, follow you, find you, find your book.
1: Yes, definitely find my (laughs) book. It's called (laughs) Dressing on the Side and Other Diet Myths Debunked 11 Science-Based Ways to Eat More, Stress Less, and Feel Great About Your Body. Uh, And you can find it wherever books are sold. And you can find me on Instagram at JacquelineLondonRD and my podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts on the side with Jackie London. Awesome. Awesome.
0: As always, I will make sure that all these links are found for people in Amazing. show notes so they can find you and hopefully uh, pick up some better eating tips.
1: <laughs> Love that.
0: <laughs> for the fun questions, would you rather be chronically overdressed or chronically underdressed?
1: Overdressed. 100%. Love to dress up. I'd like to just, you know, wear a fedora somewhere, maybe just like a stole, like a large fur stole. Yes.
0: I I think I would go with the underdressed. I'm just... I just typically don't care what I'm throwing on. And my wife sits there and kind of baffled. <laughs> Are you really going out wearing that? So.
1: I love that. I love that.
0: Would you rather lounge by a pool or lounge on the beach? Oh, beach. Gotta be beach. Something serene about yes. the hearing the waves. Just it's you gotta know be what's quiet amazing? beach.
1: It's so true. You know what's amazing, though, is that you said pool or beach, and I just got so relaxed just thinking about
0: both. (laughs) I I
1: feel like that means it's time for a vacation. Yeah, okay.
0: Time Uh, for both. (laughs) I've got one coming up in a few months, and I can't wait. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Would you rather cuddle with a koala or pal around with a panda?
1: I'd love a cuddle. I think I'm going to go koala. I don't know if that's the safest choice, but I'm going to go with the cuddle. I like the adjective being cuddle.
0: I'm not sure safe could be really employed to either one. Either.
1: Yeah,
0: no. I've been thinking about this since I put this question on here, and I don't know. I've always loved koala bears, but at the same time, pandas are absolutely fucking adorable.
1: They're the most (laughs) fucking adorable. I know, but a koala has a unique type of cute, yeah. It's the slow thing there, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Would you rather spend a weekend with pirates or ninjas?
1: Ninjas. I gotta learn things. I just want to do some ninja <laughs> Yeah,
0: I would much, as much as I would get, probably get seasick and spend most of my time with my head over the rail. I would much I rather know. be with pirates. I think pirates seem a little more. I fun. totally hear that. <laughs> that
1: they do, and they're doing a lot of. Yeah, no, I know. This is a real. I'm really trying to go with the gut reaction here, but really, I'd like to do both if I could.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the last oh. question: uh, Would you rather to be able to detect every lie you hear? Or get away with every lie you tell. Oh.
1: I feel like I've gotta go with get away with every lie, only because I feel like I detect every lie I hear already. <laughs> it doesn't feel like an asset. Honestly, it kinda of bums me out.
0: <laughs> I, uh...
1: So I think I gotta I have to by default. You know what I mean? Like but I don't really tell, I don't really lie. So it's kind of a hard one. I don't, I can try to remember the last, I, I definitely there's gotta be some white lie that I would, that I'd get like, yes, I did do that thing I said I would do to my husband. I mean, that's actually not true either. I don't really, we don't really, I, <laughs> I don't really lie. So I don't know, but I feel like I'm detecting lies more and more. So if that, then maybe I would go with that one. If it just sort of like gave you like, almost like, what you see now on social media, right. Where you turn a color, like there's like something above your head that says, this is my horoscope sign or whatever. (laughs) I would would then maybe go with, with that one just to make it easier for me so that I don't have to listen to everything else this person is saying or whatever that, that would make it actually a lot easier. I think I'd go with that one changing Uh, my mind.
0: I'm, I'm in the same, same boat. I would definitely (laughs) rather be able to detect lies. I I also, yeah. I I love the idea of when you lie, you change color, Cause yes. I think that would, I think we'd have a the rainbow of, a spectrum of colors in Congress right now. Yes. Every time they open their mouth, it'll just, they'll just change colors. Right. So it would and, be like
1: a, <laughs> a full, like a whole purple room. <laughs>
0: <laughs> any, any final words before we, we, we get out of here.
1: This was such a treat. Thank you so much Thank for for, coming on. for having me and for, um, Letting me chat all about all of the vegetables. This was so, this was really such a delight, and I really appreciated so many good questions. And um, I just had a lot of fun. So, thank you.
0: Thank you for coming on. Have a good night. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addincontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon, and send us feedback and show ideas to podcasts. AddingContext.com.